So, uh, we've been going through a little series for a while now, haven't we, about the foundations of faith. And uh, I wonder if uh, you uh, were to sit, and you can answer this question if you want to, just with the people you're with right now. Um, how, do you, how do you know who God is? What's the thing that's informed you about the kind of person, the kind of uh, being that God is? Well, um, maybe some of you, you'll think about like the Holy Spirit and maybe a moment of dramatic encounter in, in worship or God in creation. And hey, we live in Southern California, so we have plenty of evidence for God in creation um, or God in each other. Or even maybe you just have always had this kind of sense that there was a God, God out there. Well, I kind of hope secretly that at least a few of you might have said that the reason we know about God is because of this thing, uh, the Bible, um, a book obviously, written over about 1,500 years of, of history, uh, 66 books, in fact, nearly 1,200 chapters, by far the best-selling book in human history at all, actually. Um, thousands and thousands of Bibles, print ones, are sold every day still in the U.S. Um, six out of ten adults in the U.S. today would still tell you that this book has transformed their lives. And people have, have given everything to get this book into people's hands. Um, as little as 600 years ago in England, where um, I come from, um, the reformers like William Tyndale and John Wycliffe and Thomas Cranmer gave their lives to get English translations of the Bibles into people's hands because it was illegal to have an English translation of the Bible. 60 years ago, Brother Andrew set out to deliver English and uh, other translations of the Bible into uh, behind the Iron Curtain uh, into places like Russia and communist states. A little as 30 years ago, people took Chinese translations of the Bible from Hong Kong into China. And even today, uh, people take, people put Bibles onto little memory sticks and they send them uh, attached to balloons into North Korea. But the truth is that the Bible is more accessible than it ever has been. Today, around the world, the vast, vast majority of human beings can get a print or electronic copy. If you are in the English-speaking world, there are over 450 English translations. With the help of the internet and Amazon, we've got free translations and apps and reading plans and concordances. And there's this, even this cool thing called Alabaster. I don't know if you've seen it. These cool LA dudes uh, from the art district who've set up a new startup, which is to take the print version of the Bible and make it a lot more beautiful by making it all cool and graphically designed and things, which you can get a copy of. The Bible is so accessible to us, but in the English-speaking world, our engagement with it is actually dropping on the whole. This is a little uh, Barna study which comes out every year and shows that every single year, less people regularly engage with it. And in fact, not just engage with it, but if you were to go out in the streets of LA, you'd probably find significant numbers of young people, particularly, who would tell you that, actually, we really don't like this, that this feels like a, a tool of, of hatred. It's a tool of oppression, that it has outdated views on sexuality and women, and it's some sort of political power tool, and even that it plays into some sort of narrow view that God um, doesn't, of God that doesn't respect other points of view or other religions. And of course, that asks us the question, should we care about the Bible? Does it have a place in our lives anymore? 
Well, this morning I want to tell you that if you want to build great foundations in your life, if you want to have solid foundations to weather the storms of 2020, then you really need the Bible in your life. Because this Bible, this my Bible, um, has given me such a sense of purpose, such a sense of meaning and structure, because it tells me about a God who is loving and kind and good and holy. And I believe if we want a thriving life in 2021, that our rule of life can do nothing if it is not fully engaged um, with the Bible. So we're going to think for a few minutes about like what is the Bible, what's it for, and what is a way that we can engage with Scripture that is spirit-filled, that's worshipful, that's life-giving, that's joyful, um, and uh, living. So let's get our reading uh, through now, um, which Kirby is going to read to us from 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Apostle Paul is writing from jail. He's on trial in Rome. The end of his life is very, very close. And he writes to his kind of young protege, this guy called Timothy, who's a local church leader, he says to him, hey, look, this is the big stuff. This is what you need to know. Yeah, Timothy was uh, living in a very contested political, very contested spiritual space. And Paul says to him, these are the things that you have to have in your church. These are the things that you need to have in your ministry if you're going to thrive, uh, mate. And uh, he says in this little section that the Bible, that scripture is so, so important if you're going to thrive. So what even is the Bible, right? Um, verse 15 from today's uh, passage, Paul says this, You, Timothy, have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. Little, that little phrase, all Scripture is God-breathed. So aside from the kind of, okay, the Bible is a book or 66 books and many authors and three languages and 88,000 words and all that kind of stuff, Paul wants Timothy to know that the Bible is breathed out God's very mouth to uh, humanity. So what does, he, what does he even mean by that? Well, I guess you know, people take different views, don't they, on what it means for the Bible to be inspired. Some people will talk about it like as the fact that the Bible is literally just dictated through um, human beings' um, mouths. When I was about 10, um, my best friend um, was a kid called Tom. Uh, Tom lived at number two, I lived at number eight, and every day after school, um, Tom would phone at my house, and my parents would pick up, remember those days when people had like landlines, and pick up, and um, uh, Tom would literally go, been there, 
because that's all he could do. And uh, and uh, my mum and dad would say, hey, Tom's on the phone. And I'd pick up my phone and he'd go, want to come to my house? And I would, once I'd done all my homework, I would trundle down the hill to his house and we would play on his Atari ST. He was so cool. He had an Atari ST. I don't know if anyone even remembers that. The ultimate games console, floppy disk drive, keyboard, those little joysticks which just clicked all the way. And we would play and play and play. And around five o'clock every night, Tom's dad would come home. He worked for an insurance company and his job was to rule in insurance cases. And uh, particularly in the summer months, his dad, after he'd eat his food, would go out in their back garden and uh, he would have in one hand a little one of those little dictaphones with uh, well, still tiny tapes in it, remember those? And on the other hand, he would have his cigarette and he would pace up and down the garden all evening uh, dictating rulings on insurance cases. It would be like, you know, Mr. Smythe and Mrs. Jones, uh, in the incident of the 4th of February, uh, we are ruling. And that's basically what he would do. And he'd go, stop 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 I'm sure some of you have seen that and I presume what he did is he then took those little tapes and he gave them to his assistant the next day and she on her old word processor would like type them away and then turn them into letters which would, would go out to people and I think people often see the bible in that kind of way don't they that it is literally just God possessing a human being taking over their hands and giving out this thing that we call the bible but the problem with that, of course, is that, well, what about the fact that the Bible's written by all these different people? What about the fact that there's all these different genres? What about the fact that there are even kind of slight contradictions if you look at times in the Bible? You know, for example, if you look at the Gospels, there are four of them. Like, why are there four Gospels if, you know, God just needed to tell us once about Jesus? Um, why is it that in the Gospels, like maybe Luke will say, oh, you know, A happened and then B happened and then C happened. And then Jesus said D, whereas like one of the other Gospel writers will say, oh, well, D happened and then A happened and then B happened. And and then Jesus said F. Like, what what is that? Now, we can talk about contradictions or not contradictions in another another sermon. But what it seems to say, though, is that people's personalities, people's situations People's context really actually mattered um, in the Bible. And we can't therefore say that, you know, the people, the authors, they didn't matter. They didn't have any say in it. Clearly, they did. So the Bible's not inspired necessarily in that dictated way. Is it like the opposite then? Which, again, lots of people will say, well, maybe the Bible's just kind of inspired. You know, you think sometimes we say of our worship leaders don't we oh man you led worship that was such an inspired thing or that piece of art you know that was such an inspired piece of art and and you know we we think about it it's just like well you know god that person couldn't have done it on their own so maybe god gave them like the turbo charge that they needed to make it e even better like that the spirit kind of moved in that way and you know that's nice isn't it to the sense that it deals with the humanness of the bible but maybe then it reduces the Bible down to say, well, yeah, but it's no different to a piece of art or it's no different to a great worship song or a hymn or something like that. Well, Paul kind of gives us a different way. And he says, really, the Bible is actually God breathed. And that word is the same word for the word for the Holy Spirit, that there is this sense of the life of God in this, that this thing, which was 
finalized nearly 2,000 years ago is unique and different to any other book that's ever been written because it has God's life running through its veins. That although, you know, it was written by human beings, they were being used in a very specific way to be the mouthpiece of God into the world. And what that means is not only does the original context work, but it also means that God speaks to you and me through every word that is in this bible you know when you know jeremiah hears those words i know or says those words i know the plans i have for you says the lord plans to prosper you and to give you a future we get to read those words as not just to the original audience but we get to read them to us because we believe that god is speaking to us through them so that's that's just one thing the other thing is that the bible is the story of jesus paul says to timothy Um, The Bible is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in um, Christ Jesus. And that's kind of an interesting thing that he says, because if you think about it for a moment, Paul is actually writing to Timothy about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Like the New Testament of the Bible hasn't been written yet. Paul's writing it as he we speak. So Paul says to Timothy, hey dude, the whole Old Testament can make you wise for salvation in Jesus. How is that possible? The Old Testament doesn't even mention Jesus by name. Well, what we find out, though, is that the whole Bible, this whole thing, is about Jesus. If you think about the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, actually that speaks of creation and it speaks of fall. And what it's really saying is, oh, this is the problem and this is why one day a savior will need to come. Think about Exodus and the promised land and all of the battles and things that go on. Actually, that's really telling us about the need of human beings for a savior. If you think about the Psalms, they're talking about the beauty of God, a God who will one day save all the prophets who just renounce, who announced the judgment like the brokenness like you guys this is not working and they look forward to a time when there'll be a better story like the whole bible is like a where's waldo we call it where's wally in england where's waldo for jesus every page points us towards this story that through creation god had a plan that one day he would save the world and this story of the old testament takes us through to this individual moment in history this moment when jesus comes and then through jesus can we birth out through the power of the holy spirit the church which takes the good news of the gospel out into the world this story is the story of salvation and rescue through jesus so that's all the bible is but what does the bible do so apart from telling us who jesus is paul says this famously all scripture is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training um, in righteousness so it's not just like the bible is like out there and we get to read it and go that was kind of nice but the bible is supposed to impact every part of our lives and paul kind of splits it into these two different ways he says the bible is for teaching and training and in righteousness now that word kind of righteousness is kind of quirky but kathy dedo um, says that righteousness is this it is having all things set right when there's righteousness in the world then all things will be in right relationship with one another and will be living and acting according to their created purpose. To desire righteousness in ourselves is to desire that we are living in line with who we were created to be and not in rebellion to it. 
That basically like righteousness is a way of being a human being, which is of human flourishing. It is a way to live according to the plans and purposes for what we were designed to be. And the Bible is the thing that highlights and points us to the way to be a human being. Now, it's really important to know that that way of being human is not necessarily a way that the world understands. In fact, I probably want to go so far as to say that it's a way that the world has never fully understood. There's never been a human civilization which has understood fully the way of Jesus without the Bible. That the Bible points us to a different way, a different way of love, a different way of relationships, a different way of sexuality, a different way of marriage, a different way of treating money. It's different on every point, but it is the way we were made to be. Like Francis Chan says, that so much is what the Bible tells us about that really if we love God and we want righteousness, if we read in the Bible that it says, hey, on Wednesdays you should stand on your head for three hours, we should be the people going, oh my goodness, yes, the Bible says that, it must know what it's doing, so let's stand on our head for three hours. The Bible doesn't say that, just in case that's what you think you're doing um, this week. But on the other side, um, Paul says to Timothy, the Bible also is rebuking and it corrects us, like not in a like smashing you around kind of way, but in the fact that if, if righteousness is over here and society is over here, what the Bible does is like a light. I seem to have the sun shining on my face in my hand right now. The Bible shines like a light into the darkness to enable us to live right, to shine like stars, not to impress God, but to find that way of human flourishing. And a little hint of what that looks like, he says in verse 17, so that the servants of God, Christians may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, that the outcome of righteousness is to live a good, loving, wonderful, beautiful way. So that's what uh, the Bible uh, does. But then how do we engage with it? How can we engage with scripture? Because let's just be honest, there are bits of the Bible that can be feel a little bit tricky. We have our favorite verses, right? But there are other verses. And if you don't know where they are, I'll show you where some of them are, which just don't immediately seem to jump out or make sense to us. So how do we do it? Well, here's some thoughts, and I'm going fast today, I know. But number one, we've got to understand what it is we're reading. Now, we know 66 books, but beyond 66 books, this Bible that we have is actually written in lots of different genres. Parts of the Bible are like their narrative. They are the historical uh, effect, the historical story of something that happened. Someone went over here, there was a battle about this and something happened. Now in that, obviously there are glimpses of wonder of what we see God at work. There's also just a lot of human beings doing human things, good things um, and bad things. And we have to extract out of it. What did God say and what does that mean? There's poetry right in the Bible. Um, I don't know the last time that you wrote a poem. Um, I think school might have been the last time I wrote a poem. I'm embarrassed to say I don't think I've ever written Laura a poem. I have written her some songs, but not a poem. Maybe I should do it this week when she's not very well. Mm, we'll see. But in poetry, we are not like concerned particularly with fact and order and history. We're concerned with passion. We're concerned with emotion. Um, in other parts of the Bible, we read of letters, right? Like today's letter, they're pastoral letters. Hey, dude, this is what's going on for you. This is what's going on for me. This is what you need to do about it. A very different kind of context. Then we've got the Gospels. They're just eyewitness statements to show people about Jesus. We've got prophecy. 
which is um, again not really about kind of like order and fact and timeline it's about spiritual dynamics it's about a future and a heavenly realms and we've got wisdom literature which is like dude don't do that that's a bad idea do that do something else and all these different genres have to be read in different ways all of them are inspired by God, but each one of them is trying to communicate in a slightly different way. So we've got to understand a little bit about the context. Now, if you're looking for a good way to do that, um, I've got two suggestions for how you might want to do that. The first is, I'll put a little slide up on the screen, um, Tim Mackey. Uh, Tim Mackey and the Bible Project, um, just great. You don't even have to read anything. It's in cartoon form. Uh, Google it. Every single book of the Bible will give you the history and the context. Um, but if you're a bit more of a reader, this one might be better for you. Um, how to read the Bible book by book. Um, this is a classic, uh, Gordon Fee. Um, very easy, not that massive, and you can pick it up and it'll tell you about every single Bible. So we need to understand what's going on for the, in the original context, but we also, we also need to like, think about the whole picture of the Bible, right? Um, it's really easy, isn't it, to get obsessed by particular verses of scripture, right? Um, I don't know what, people your favorite verses um I, I don't know if maybe maybe this one uh, probably not ecclesiastes 10 19 a feast is made for laughter wine makes life merry money is the answer to everything i guess that's probably not a verse you've used that much or 2 kings 2 23 from there elisha went up to bethel not the church and as he was walking along the road some boys came out of the town and jeered at him Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. When we read individual verses, we can quickly come unstuck if we take them out of their context and we take them out of what the theologians call the systematic whole sweep of Scripture. If, think about it like this. Like if uh, you took somebody down to Huntington Gardens, the beautiful Huntington Gardens in Pasadena, and you blindfolded them, and you led them down that really big hill around the left-hand side, down to the big English meadows. I love that place. And you picked up a piece of grass and you took their blindfold off and you said, here's a piece of grass. Tell me everything you can about Mr. Huntington who designed these gardens. And they go, well, Mr. Huntington must be obsessed with the color green and plants which are very uh, short and spiky and thin. That's probably what they'd get, right? It's not a complete picture. If you said to them, well, here's 10 of the best plants in Huntington Gardens, maybe then they'd get a bit more of a picture. But in order for them to really understand Mr. Huntington and his vision for the gardens and his goals and the whole thing and plants and creation, they need to walk the whole garden probably multiple times. They need to get into it and understand it and smell it and taste it and look at every part of the story. And that's exactly the same with scripture. Sadly, lots of us do just get stuck on one verse, one particular slant on who God is. But if we wanna be people who really get into scripture, we need to go through the whole thing. And one suggestion of how you might wanna do that, now this takes some commitment, but it is the start of a new year, is to do the Bible in a year. Um, you can do it in audio form. Uh, Nicky Gumbel from HTB, uh, he uh, does a version of this. There's all sorts of other versions online that you can check out. Um, but it is to commit. 
probably 20 minutes a day to listen or read three, four chapters of the Bible. And that way over the year, you get to see the big story. And it means that when we read about what God did in Genesis, we get a better idea of linking it to what God did in Revelation. It means that when we read something that's really slightly difficult and we don't know what to do with it, maybe say in the Old Testament in a totally different cultural context, we get to say, well, it sounds like that, but it can't be quite like that because this is the kind of God who we read about in the best rest of the Bible. And God doesn't change. That God is one God throughout the whole story, outworking his rescue plans. So we need to look at contextually. We've got to realize as well, and I'm just going to mention this really briefly for time, but we actually have to think about ourselves when we read the Bible too. And what I mean by that is that when we read the Bible, every single one of us reads scripture with lenses on. These, um, here we go. These, these are my new sunglasses. I know, they're so cool, right? Um, I got these recently. They are brown, which means that um, when you look through the lenses, everything looks slightly browner and slightly greener. And I love them because it feels like everything is green like grass. Um, but every uh, pair of uh, glasses has a slightly different tint. And when we come at the Bible, we also come at it with uh, our scripture, our black and white. We come at it with our traditions, like the things people have taught us. We come at it with our experiences and the things we know of God in the world. And we come at it with our reason and our brains and our logic and things like that. And none of that's a bad idea or bad for us. It just means that when we read scripture on our own, we will always come at it and come to certain conclusions that not everybody else might come to. And so that's the point I want to make is that when we read the Bible, I really want to encourage you to read it with other people. When we do our community groups, we often have this question in our community groups, you know, what stood out for you in today's passage and it isn't that the facts change or the ultimate truths change but each one of us sees it differently you know like I am a white late 30s European kind of dude which means that the bible looks I look at it from a very particular viewpoint if I was an Ethiopian lady farmer I might look at it totally different and so do think about how you can read the Bible alongside others and even to read stuff that feels a bit different from a totally different perspective because that's how um, we get the right viewpoint. And then just this final thing. Um, I know I've thrown a lot at you and you might want to come back to this talk and unpack it a little bit more uh, later in the week. But I wanted to say this, and if you forget everything else I said, please just take this point away. It is so, so vital that when we read the Bible, God's word to us. We do it from a place of worship and we do it from a place of prayer. This thing was never designed just to be a legal document. It was always designed to reveal God to us. It is faith that we have, a relationship with God that we have, seeking understanding that we find in here. And so when we come to a place of reading the Bible, I want to encourage you, don't open this thing until you've prayed. Like, don't open this thing um, until you have worshipped God. When we do our church services, we don't just go, welcome to church, here we go, an hour and a half in this. We say, let's sing our hearts out and love God and reflect on his beauty and then ask that his Holy Spirit would enlighten 
our minds and our spirits and our, to know him better. And I know in my life that as I have done that, this thing has become more and more and more important to me. And I believe for you too, it can be something of great life transformation as we navigate the choppy waters of 2021.